0: Duh. It's episode three of Good Stuff Sports. I'm your host, Mike Mason. On today's show, I talked to Colin Gunderson, who's the host of the Love of Baseball podcast. And that podcast could not be more appropriately named because, as you'll hear, Colin is a tremendous wealth of baseball knowledge and his love of the game truly shines through. It was Super Bowl Sunday last Sunday, and I think the implosion of the Atlanta Falcons was one for the ages. Yes, Tom Brady is a legend. Yes, Belichick's one of the greatest coaches of all time. But in no world that I've lived in did they deserve to win that game. So congratulations to the Patriots, I guess, if you're into that kind of thing. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Good Stuff Sports Podcast on iTunes. means a lot when you do that. And now, enjoy my talk with Colin Gunderson from Love of Baseball Podcast. Talk to you at the end of the show. Welcome to Colin Gunderson, the host and creator of the Love of Baseball Podcast. Colin, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing so great and thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor and a privilege.
0: No problem. So you are you are one of the first guests ever on Good Stuff Sports and and we're trying to think about sports here like and 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 the impact that it can have on kids and what kids can learn from sports and and how they can grow from participating in sports and hearing from people who have been involved. And you were involved with the Los Angeles Dodgers for a few years and you have a relationship with Tommy Lasorda, is that right?
1: That's right. That's right. I, I worked for the Dodgers for 13 years, 12 of which were as Tommy Lasorda's, you know, press coordinator and assistant. And uh, that for me was a dream come true. I grew up in LA as a Dodger lover and a baseball fan in general, going to Dodger Stadium all the time whenever I could with my friends or family. And for me to, you know, one day carry the same torch, so to speak, as guys like Jackie Robinson and Koufax and Vin Scully and of course the great Tommy Lasorda and man it was uh, truly a dream come true you know and and like I say carry the torch and of course it's not in the same vein as those guys <laughs> did but at the same time you know you do represent the club because you're out in the community you're out with your friends and family and they ask what you do and you tell them you know and and that was always a joy handing out my business card was always a joy oh, that's so but, cool. the, yeah, but the interesting thing is that I learned this very quickly. Um, you know, you say, "Yeah, I work for the Dodgers." And, you know, one or two might say, "Oh, man, Gibson's home run was one of my favorite moments," or, you know, like like watching Fernando pitch was, you know, meant so much. But 8 out of 10 people would relay the most intimate details to you like, "My grandfather wanted to be buried in his Brooklyn Dodger jacket," or like uh my like I met my wife at Dodger Stadium or things like that, things that are so intimate to their family's history. Mm-hmm. And you realize that the Dodgers and baseball means so much more to people than what just goes on in between the lines, which is great. Like we all love the game, but at the same time, you realize that that it's you know it it it's a social institution, man. It lives in the hearts and minds of the people that go and watch on TV and listen on the radio, and it means so much more to them than just the sport, mm-hmm. you know. And, and um, and I, I remember one time Bud Selig, the former commissioner, and he said this many times, but he said, "You know, baseball is a social institution, and as such, it has social responsibilities. And at the Dodgers, we took that very seriously. Um, you know, working with so many kids and young ball players and community organizations, and it is your duty to give back and to teach and to help them develop and grow into the ball players. You know, because everyone on that field, at one time or another, was a little eager and a high school player and was facing the same challenges that these kids today are facing. You know, and they, one way or another, through lots of help and a lot of practice I'm sure, found a way to overcome those hurdles, you know, but no and no one does it alone. Right. So we took that very seriously to try to help as much as we could
0: yeah that's that's really that's great to hear and it's especially great to hear because you know in all honesty like the Dodgers are not my favorite team what um, I know crazy right my brother-in-law loves the Dodgers but I I, you know it's like one of those things you're a Dodgers <laughs> fan you'll never be a Mets fan you'll never be a Giants fan Um, but what I listened to your uh, your chat with Adrian Gonzalez and he and I think that what you said is so interesting and so important and for kids to know like when when kids start playing baseball like they do it all the time for years and years and years like a player like Adrian Gonzalez or like Kirk Gibson or even like Chris Bryant if we're going to talk about like a young up and coming player they 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 didn't just like put on a uniform and were able to like crush home runs like no. the, the amount of practice so uh, w- when you were with the Dodgers when you were associated with them i assume you spent some time around the players or got to see the players who like Who did you, in your mind, who worked the hardest where you're like, man, this guy is really, really going at it and really going after it?
1: Wow, that's a great question. Um, Well, so I was there from basically from 2000 to the end of 2012, Mm -hmm. and uh, I didn't really have much exposure to players in the early years. But I would say in terms of general fitness, like Andre Ethier was a beast, Um, Matt Kemp was a beast. Clayton Kershaw was a beast, Yeah, you know, and pitchers, everyone, obviously, you know, it's, they throw with their arm, but when, the more you learn about pitching, the more you realize how important strong legs and a strong core are. And those guys would almost do more just general physical fitness than (laughs) it seemed like more general physical fitness than like hitting or throwing or fielding. Mm -hmm. Um, of course that's all built into their practice routines, especially during spring training. But, um, and also, you take a guy like Kershaw, and probably m- the large majority of players in the league, but especially Kershaw, like, you know, these guys spend probably more time preparing their mental game as opposed to their physical game. You know, they're physical athletes and they play, and they do what they do in terms of keeping their bodies in shape. but um, like they spend so much time refining their own Uh, you know, pitching mechanics or their own swing or their approach to opposing hitters, studying their weaknesses, studying their game plan, you know, matching that against their pitching strengths and how they want to pitch their game. And that was amazing to me. Mm -hmm. These guys spend so much time watching film, being in meetings with their coaches or the catchers. If you're a pitcher, you meet with the catcher. You know, reading the advanced reports, going back, not just against how you faced them in the past, But about how they faced similar pitchers, or just you know another hard-throwing right-hander, another lefty breaking ball type pitcher. Right. And that really amazed. And another thing that really amazed me, especially with Kemp and Ethier, is how important they take their diet. Mm. These guys don't eat anything bad, (laughs) and you're like, dude, how do you do that, man? But for them. That's their whole profession, and oh. I interviewed Hunter Pence of the Giants, mm-hmm. and I asked him about his diet because he, he, you know, he's another one who's just a very strict dietary player, and he's like, look, I can't talk about how important it is in terms of like a quantitative value, but if you want to feel better and you want to get the most out of your body, you have to have a great diet, wow. and. I think you know, like you look at baseball players, especially in the past, like the Babe Ruths of the world, or Big Poppy, you know, right? John Cruck, some of those old timers, uh, you know, they don't look like athletes. You know, David Wells. You could go on and on with, <laughs> right, with right. examples, um, but they're ball players. And Tommy used to say all the time that you know, some of the best athletes in the world could never be ball players, just like some of the best ball players in the world certainly are not athletes <laughs> huh? you know and you, like you you saw that with Michael Jordan you know here's like the greatest basketball player ever and you know he could barely crack the big leagues it's it's no easy thing to do right but in today's day and, you know in today's day and age every, uh, you know so many players take their diets so seriously you know and, and even if you're working out all day and you're burning thousands of more calories than the regular person they still take it so seriously it's yeah. so important to them, and that was a, a big eye opener for me too. That's really really interesting. Um, and and what I would expect, you know, I th- I
0: think it's interesting, you know, talking about how ballplayers are not often or not always seen as athletes, but then you know I watched you know, the World Series, right, and like so. We're, I'm a Cubs fan, which we should get oh, out of the way. Oh, and and what I, a great series! What a great series, right? Like the world changed in in a night, and it was awesome. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I watched it with my seven year old, and we watched like every pitch of every game, and and the rain delay, and and wh- one thing that sort of struck me, and I would love to know what your what your thoughts on this are. Is so they're in Game Seven, the rain delay. Everyone's like everyone's doing what they're supposed to do right like David Ross comes up and hits the home run right the old guy and and then they get to the rain delay and they go into the clubhouse and from what I've heard it's the guy that like could not touch the ball with the bat like Jason Hayward is the guy that rallies the team so it, when you are around baseball and you're around the Dodgers like how how important is it for i guess it's a two-part question (coughs) how important is it for there to be that clubhouse leadership and how do players support each other when like you know hayward was a massive free agent signing and just bombed like stunk up the joint but yet at the most crucial part of the season he's the guy who's speaking to the team
1: well you know i think leadership is extremely important i think uh Especially in today's day and age, a lot of managers will rely, in every age, most likely, managers always rely on one or two key players to be the clubhouse leader and to be their eyes and ears. But, you know, the manager isn't hanging out in the clubhouse or in the workout room. You know, he's, these are grown men and they're professionals and they have a coaching staff. But at the same time, it's always good to have one of your own you know, taking charge and making sure everyone's focused and directed. And and so I think that clubhouse leadership is extremely important. And you hear it year after year, you know, who's the clubhouse leader of this team? There is no leadership in the clubhouse for that team, and that's why they're falling apart. A lot of that's conjecture because no one is in the clubhouse, obviously, as much as the players are. But I think, you know, in terms of Hayward and in terms of what happened in this year's World Series in his, his year, yeah, he had a tough year, you know, but... Baseball, first of all, is is an individual game, but it's also a team game, and so many players are called upon to make so many sacrifices on behalf of the team. Whether it's bunting in this situation, hit and run, you know, um, you reassign your role to it's because you have an extra outfielder that needs the playing time, so on and so forth. Um, and really, I think with Jason Hayward, what has to be noted is every player from the chris bryants of the world all the way on down to the dude that you don't even know who's like the 26th man on the 25 man roster right everybody has struggled everybody in the game has felt the weight of a contract whether it's 100 million or just 500,000 whatever it is you know mm-hmm. and i and i think that that if you are a true team which hopefully you are especially at that time of the season you've been together for eight months at that point intensely playing together intensely doing everything together all the time like it doesn't matter if you have the highest batting average or if you're crushing it if you have an important message and the guys believe in you as a teammate first Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and then as a player second that's what's most important in my opinion Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know and I think you know like I said like I said with Hayward you know everyone has seen his potential over the years and he has moments of brilliance But what we don't see as the public is how much time he may spend in the film room, how much time he may spend in the cages away from the spotlight, how much time he may spend putting his arm around younger players that are struggling too or just congratulating dudes that are on a great streak or whatever, being a leader, doing the little things that pick people up when they're down. Baseball is by far the most humbling sport there is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We all know the example of if you hit 3 out of 10, you're probably going to be in the Hall of Fame or however you want to phrase it. <laughs> right. But it's so true and you have to realize that especially if you're in the major leagues for the bulk of your life, you're a star. You are the star in whichever league you're playing. And then, you know, probably in the minors, you'll hit you'll hit some roadblocks most likely. And if you can make the proper adjustments, you'll make it to the big leagues. But then guess what? You're not the star anymore. Yeah, right. (laughs) You're not as great as you thought you were. How are you going to deal with that failure? How are you going to deal with the humbling nature that you're not crushing it five, six, seven out of every ten at-bats? You know How are you not going to live up to the media hype, to the pressure of your enormous contract? There are so many humbling factors that make you realize that the only way out of that stuff is to put your nose down and work hard mm-hmm. work smart and always be open to making a mental adjustment you know if you're close-minded about your game you're not going to hear what your coaches are saying you're not going to hear the help that's there for you to change and to get better you know and I, I look at Matt Kemp I love Matt Kemp mm-hmm. I've known him for a long time he's a great player I don't care what anyone says he's a great player <laughs> same thing with Yasiel Puig you know and this happens to so many guys in the big leagues Look, now you're not, you know, everyone knows that you can crush the fastball. Everybody knows it. So guess what? You're not going to see the fastball. Maybe, maybe to establish it early in the count. But a lot of guys these days don't swing early in the count. They like to take as many pitches as they can. But guess what? Those guys are now getting those nasty sliders low and away all day long because pitchers know that's their weakness, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. So what are you going to do to make that adjustment? Learn that, yeah. Yeah. But no, but and my, my point is, like, you have to be open to it. And I'm not saying that those guys aren't. I'm sure they are. But it's not easy, and it all starts with you wanting to make the change in your game, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think with Hayward, um, I'm sure he'll take the steps to do whatever he has to do to improve on his weaknesses. But, hey, you know, sometimes it's just a truly humbling thing. I remember Eric Karros, who, and you know, coincidentally enough, is the all-time home run leader for the los angeles dodgers oh coincidence interesting yeah Uh (laughs) so caros loves to tell this story you know in the prime of his career while tommy was still managing you know he's a home run hitter but he's stinking it up and he's like oh for 14 or whatever it is oh for 21 for 23 whatever he's on a horrible slump (laughs) and he's getting ready he shows up to the ballpark early he's getting ready to take extra swings and he's going to double down and work even harder and Lasorda comes to the clubhouse and says, you know, what are you doing here? Hey, Skip M's going to go down to the tee and take some extra. If I see you hitting on that tee, you will not play in this game. And Carol is like, what? Oh, you don't like the tee? Oh, I guess, you know, I'll go down and, and take some BP on the field. If I see you taking swings on the field, you ain't going to play in this game. You're going to sit here and just take it easy, talk to the guys, you know, have something to eat, whatever. Basically, he's telling him." You know, Lasorda's telling Keros, get your mind out, you know, get out of your head. Yeah. You're a great ball player. Just go play. Have fun. You know, uh, and I think that really helps a lot of guys, too. And, I, and I'm sure that by the time the World Series rolled around, no one felt worse about their about Hayward's performance than Hayward. Than Hayward, right. And, you know what I mean?
0: Yep, exactly. Yeah, makes all the sense. Huh. So, um, who are some of your favorite players growing up? I, I mean, you mentioned a bunch oh, of man. Dodgers. Uh, what are some of the other ones that you were like, wow, that guy is just the best?
1: Well, I, ha- I have to throw a big shout-out to my man, Mike Sosha. He was my favorite, hands down, and, of course, Hersheiser because of what he did during my youth and uh-huh. what he did in the game. But beyond the Dodgers, uh, I have to say, I loved watching Ozzie Smith play. Yeah, uh, I loved watching george brett and he was a little bit before you know i didn't see him too much because he's an american leaguer and back then obviously the games weren't on tv like they are now um and i also loved tony gwen uh-huh um great you know just oh man what a joy, you know i think especially in the world of baseball if you've ever played baseball you know how hard it is to hit you know? right exactly and seeing a guy that makes it look so easy—it's a joy. Yeah. Uh, and I love the—I love the wizard, you know, bec- just because of his fielding, man. And yeah. like later in my teenage years, I—I would specifically watch baseball tonight just so I could see the web gems of Vizquel and Alomar making these acrobatic double plays, man. That was for me a huge thrill. I love those guys, and I love to watch the Professor. Greg Maddox just <laughs> dismantle dudes, you know, and the way he approached pitching and his breaking stuff was just going everywhere, man. For me, that was a thrill too. I yeah. love those guys. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, so much
0: nuance to the game that that is just so you know, it seems so simple on the outside, right? Like a right. fastball, a curveball, a slider. Like these are all like just classic words, but when you really break it down, there's so much to the game of baseball. And you are obviously so passionate about it and so knowledgeable about it. So how can we follow you, right? You have your own podcast. Tell us a little bit about it and the sure, various sure. ways that we can connect with you.
1: Sure. So my podcast, like you said, it's it's the Love of Baseball podcast. And what I do is I interview players, both current and former, I interview coaches, managers, broadcasters, executives, basically anyone in the game that loves the game and loves to talk about why they love it. And I've found that everyone has their own reasons, of course, but they love it for all the same reasons that we do, the casual fans do, which is so nice, you know. And, and uh, you know, you can, you can find me on iTunes, Love of Baseball Podcast. I have my own website, loveofbaseballpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Of course, on Twitter, at L-O-B underscore podcast, or facebook.com slash L-O-B podcast. And really, like I, I I formatted it the way I did for a reason, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and for all you kids listening, one day you'll learn how true this is. But you never forget your first love. And I'm not saying that baseball was my first love per se, but I remember when I was a kid, and like I, this is pretty much the basis of my podcast. Like, like that moment that I fell in love with baseball. You know, I was a little leaguer. Uh-huh. I could feel I had a, a good arm, whatever, but I couldn't hit like the other kids, man. For whatever reason, it just I just was not a great hitter. And I was at Roxbury Park, uh-huh. and my mom was in the stands, you know, and uh-huh. like I got my one compulsory at bat, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'll never forget, man. I put a swing on it and I hit this line drive into the right center gap. And it got past the outfielder, and I ran around a second, and I had a, I had a, st- a stand-up double, but I slid anyway. <laughs> because who doesn't love to get their uniform dirty when you can? You're right. You got right? to. Yep, you got and I'm to. standing on second base, and everyone's happy and cheering. And man, I had never felt so good as when I ripped that line drive and I had like my first double. And at that moment, man, I said, I love this game. <laughs> nice. All the hard work you put in all the time, all the effort, all the energy, all the sacrifices you make, and then you taste that success, man. There's nothing better. Yeah, wow.
0: Well, Colin, you, you, are, you believe it and, and I believe it. And uh, I, I can't thank you enough for your time and your passion and your energy and look forward to following you and, and what you do and keep doing what you do, man. I appreciate everything. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Yeah, and thank you, and I just want to say one more thing to the kids, and this comes from Tommy Lasorda, who's who's a Hall of Fame manager. He had nine National League Rookies of the Year while he was managing for the Dodgers, and that's unprecedented in the game of baseball. And before he was a manager for the Dodgers, he coached in the Dodger minor league system for eight seasons, and during that time he sent 73 players to the big leagues. That is a huge number. It's a main reason why he's in the Hall of Fame. But the point that I'm trying to make is this. So many times he'd meet kids who play baseball because that's who he is. And a lot of the times the parents would want advice or they'd say, you know, he's bummed out because he's not playing well. Tommy would take whatever youngster was there or, you know, under his arm I say, let me ask you a question. Who's your favorite player? And they'd, you know, they'd give their typical answers, you know, mm-hmm. Albert Pujols or you know Jeter, whatever. And they say, okay, let me ask you a question. Do you do you follow their their play? Like, do you check it on in the newspapers or on, on the computer? And the kid's are like, yeah. Okay, you know, do me a favor. Let me know when the last, you know, let me know how many times Derek Jeter has struck out this year. And the kid would look and Tommy would say i bet it's like 60 or 70 at least and the kid would look kind of like realizing and Tommy would say your favorite ball players have all failed but they keep playing and they keep trying hard mm-hmm. you know even yeah. babe ruth struck out not even babe ruth batted a thousand don't get down on yourself believe in yourself you've got to believe self confidence is the first step to success if you believe it you can achieve it and in baseball it's not you know it's it's that it's that age old story it's not always the strongest man who wins the fight or the fastest man that wins the race but it's the one who wants it more than the other guy so i ask you youngster how bad do you want it what price are you willing to pay to achieve your goals in life mm-hmm. only you can answer that but every day when you wake up to and you wash your face and comb your hair you look in that mirror and you say Am I making the most out of my God-given abilities? And only you can answer that. And if you are, that's good. And if you're not, then you know then you know that you have work to do. You know, but the but his main point was don't get down on yourself. The best players in the game fail all the time. Mm-hmm. Just keep having fun and keep playing because at the end of the day that's why we play. We play to have fun. We compete. Winning is more fun.
0: But <laughs> at the end of the day,
1: you know, you're part of a team. You're having fun with your buddies, and you're playing the greatest game in the world, in yep. my opinion. And uh, that's true and wise words from one of the best that has ever done
0: it. So thanks for sharing that, Colin. It means a lot.
1: And thank you. And you know, I, I appreciate you having me on. I really do. All right. Anytime. Anytime. All right. I'll talk
0: to you soon. Humongous thanks to Colin Gunderson for being on the show. Be sure to check out the Love of Baseball podcast. He's had some incredible guests on. We talked about a few of them, like Tom Glavin and Adrian Gonzalez, but there's so many more. His latest episode has Jenny Finch, the uh, the softball player, the softball savant, if you will, one of the greatest that's ever done it. So thanks again to Colin. Check him out. Hope you're enjoying Good Stuff Sports. You can always drop me a line at goodstuffpod at gmail.com or check out goodstuffpod.com for all of your Good Stuff Kids podcast and Good Stuff Sports podcast needs. Thanks a lot. I'm Mike Mason. Thank you for listening to our third episode of Good Stuff Sports. Talk to you very soon. Good Stuff.